So a little bit about me. Temperamentally, I tend towards pessimism. And if you are like me, you know how difficult it is to be a pessimist in today's world. American society, everybody is so positive about everything. I was a young person trying to, you know, complain. You can't complain about anything. I'd say things like, we're all going to die. And people would say, it's going to be okay. (laughs) How is it going to be okay? Sorry, I don't believe in this magical thinking that the world is made of uh, rainbows and butterflies. Now, this is before I came to faith in Christ. So this was also before uh, having hope. But, you know, people say the most absurd things. Like, well, we're going to live on in the memories of our loved ones. You know people say that. Do you remember the names of your great-grandparents? I remember one. My great-great-grandparents, none at all. So, well, this is how long we're going to, you know, continue to live, you know. We live in a world uh, based upon positive thinking. Uh, Motivational speakers, the Tony Robbins of the world, you know, get up and, like, move and be motivated and, you know, write things on your mirror and pump yourself up in the morning. I say, well, I'll talk to any Tony Robbins in the world only after attending a funeral of a young woman who died of ALS, which I attended a funeral this week of uh, just such a woman. And I tell you, I haven't found the motivation to exercise since that funeral. It's like, well, what's the point of uh, doing those things? Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. Why? Why? You know, what is, what is behind that? I think most of people's positive thinking today and most people's capacity to get up out of their bed in the morning and live and work and do all the things they do is based upon ignorance. Well, as long as you're not really thinking about the world, as long as you've got the blinders on, well, then you can live. But without that, everything falls apart. I was reading the prologue of this book, The Splendid Feast of Reason, by this scientist who's a total rationalist, uh, Seymour Jonathan Singer. And in his prologue to this celebration of rationalism, he talks about being a scientist his whole life and being a normal man in American society, enjoying uh, sports, enjoying uh, music and orchestra, having a family, you know, even having an active political life, all this kind of stuff, the typical normal stuff, until he entered into his 60s. And he says that in his 60s, maturing as a scientist, he began to look beyond his laboratory to, to, look, to look at the wider world and the greater life of things and seeing how things are connected. And he says, the moment I looked up from my laboratory, I was destroyed by what I saw, he says. And then he discovered this principle, the aphorism that where knowledge increases, so does suffering increase. And he said, in my youth, I never understood this. While I was enjoying the life of scientific research, knowledge was just a joy and a happiness. But now, looking at all of life, knowledge is crushing me. And then, he was not only a a researcher, but also a professor. So he lived his life gaining knowledge and giving knowledge. But he says, I could not tell my students 
about my newfound pessimism. Because, of course, without hope, without true hope, there's no reason to pass on the knowledge that we have. There's no reason either to gain knowledge or to give knowledge. So then he shifts. And attention to this. In a book about rationalism, he shifts and says that the only reason I'm able to continue to learn and to teach is based upon an unthinking hope, an unthinking, irrational hope. So his entire book on rationalism is based on an irrationalism. Like, congratulations. Yeah, us Christians. Yeah, we're the, we're the irrational ones. Let's go. <laughs> Insane. I said, you're in your 60s. I was 13 when I realized that life is terrible. <laughs> 13. Now I'm like, am I the normal one or are you the normal one? It's like... At what point in our lives are we going to discover uh, the greatness of life and the tragedy of life? Yeah, to discover the words of Job, that man's life is a drudgery, a searching after shade until we die. Because I ask myself, why in today's readings do, does the church put Job next to this reading about Jesus, which doesn't seem to be particularly directly connected? Well, there's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, and there's the need to go to, to other villages to continue to preach. Because pessimism or optimism are okay one way or the other, but I would say, what are they based upon? If they're based simply upon your temperament or upon your emotions, well, then they can change and flux and we could talk about which is better. But they should be based upon reality. They should be based upon something historical. Such that if I can say that it was good to be born, if I'm happy to be alive, if there is some sort of answer to uh, death and the grave and funerals, then it has to be based upon something solid, something that comes from reality, not from the thoughts in my head where I can convince myself that things are going to be okay. And this, this is the newness that Christ brings into the world. Because without Christ, life is nothing. And Job was right. And anything else is magical thinking. And any kind of hope is based upon things that we find in our imagination or in our mind. Now, there is some natural-based hope because we do discover the need for, inf for the infinite and for the happiness in our heart. And that's given by God by nature. But ultimately, in front of death, what is the answer? And only Christ comes to bring that answer. So that we can say that, okay, life is good because Christ is here. And I have this new knowledge of reality based upon a man who lived and who continues to be present here and communicate himself to me. So that I can say, yes, finally, it is good. Without the blinders on, us Christians are able to face everything in reality without ignorance and truly being in front of it. Now, it's not enough simply to have the faith, yeah, in the sense of it's not enough to read the catechism. Because why is life better for us Christians? You know, most people think, you know, when you're Christian, it's just, well, you got to go to Mass on Sunday at 8.30, otherwise you're going to hell, you know, you can party, but don't party too much because you don't want to go to hell. You know, everything's like, everything's like a threat. 
But really, in the relationship with Christ, this is why we must be pushed to not live that relationship by ourselves. Because if we're really going to enjoy the relationship with Christ and have the freedom of the children of God that Jesus promises us, we must learn to live that relationship with Christ in a community, in a friendship, in the flesh. Because Christ always and only comes to us in the flesh. And so when we try to live Christianity by ourselves, well, then we don't enjoy it. And life doesn't grow and become greater and greater. And we find ourselves more and more isolated and then persecuted from the people in the world. And then we start to find the Tony Robbinses of the world attractive. And we start to go to them for words of hope and encouragement instead of from the gospel and from the church. This is the place where I would say we have a lot of work to do, my friends, to truly look at reality in the eyes, look at the needs of our heart, uh, take them seriously, and really say, well, Christ, if you came and promised me eternal life, which I begin to experience here today, well, where is that fulfillment? Where is that promise? And what are we not doing in order to accept and live that life? That life that truly the entire world should be jealous of. Because only we have a true hope that's based on history. Because we believe in a man who lived, died, and rose from the dead, and who continues to be present here with us.